everybody gather round Listen to that bongo sound Grab the first one in your reach Now we're gonna shake the beach yeah, yeah, yeah. Do the clam, do the clam Grab your barefoot baby by the hand Turn and tease, hug and squeeze Dig right in and do the clam You can't get your heart to spin On the outside looking in Moon ain't gonna last all night Well, let's work up an appetite Do the clam, do the clam Grab your barefoot baby by the hand Turn and tease, hug and squeeze Dig right in and do the clam CITR 11.9 FM. This is the Inkstead Show. That was Elvis Presley Kickin with Do the Clam. Kickin and ass. I am joined by Colin and Don today. And I'm, I'm also clamming. And joined as our special guest that we are going to harass with many questions, Dennis Icorn. You there, Dennis? Yes, I am. I'm doing the clam, too. You're doing the clam. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Now, is, do you prefer Dennis or Denny? Oh, call me Denny. It'll be a little shorter. It's only one syllable. <laughs> <laughs> it's oxygen I would never get back otherwise. Well, we've got to save time. There we go. It's only an hour long, and we have right, many questions. Right, a lot in. Now, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for a yak about your work, um, the volume of work, Real Stuff. If people haven't seen it, there's something wrong with them. Um, also, uh, Real Smut, and as Colin carefully pointed out, was it Real Schmuck that the stuff Fanographics didn't have balls to print? <laughs> That's right. Real Schmuck exists. Yeah. 
from uh, that was that Starhead Graphics. Uh, yeah, that's right. I can remember things good, and also uh, Northwest. Excuse me, I can't speak to Northwest Extra, which Colin brought in the Allen Ginsberg cover by Mr. Crumb. That's right. Um, Colin was featured in the, the last issue of that venerable tabloid. Wobbly Reverie. <laughs> Is yeah. that how you say it? He's the guy to draw it. Wobbly Webbly? Reverie? Wobbly Webbly. Like, like uh, Elmer Fudd. <laughs> yeah. I have a head cold. <laughs> yeah. We have sick Colin who's been telling us many tales of visiting his mother in the hospital that will save for another day. Yeah. Oh, dear. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> it, it turned out good. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- once again, thank you for joining us. Um, I guess we'll talk about your um, your past comics. I- I've got a lot of questions about the people you've talked about in your comics, the people you've had in sure. Northwest Extra as columnists. Um, you've had some of my favorite writers um, as writers for you. Um, and also, you edited the was it the Rocket magazine in Seattle for yeah, quite I was some time. A senior editor for a long time. Mm-hmm. And our uh, music director here at the station, when he heard that out, he was uh, going on about he loved the uh, I Found This, I think it was. The oh, what? I Found This. I Found It? Yeah. I Found It, yeah. Oh. He, he was well, loving that part well, of it. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I Found it. it. I guess it was just something people find, and then there's like one thing. Where oh, I see. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's coming back. See, I've repressed most of it. Yeah. <laughs> How far Those back? Starvation days, you know, <laughs> picking up cigarette butts off the sidewalk, <laughs> getting quarters out of out of telephones and newspaper machines, you know. Yeah, I still the, do that. The hard days. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> and we'd find things like that in the street, and we'd put them in the newspaper. You know, it saved a lot of money actually. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the one he told us about was uh, someone put a note on their car: "If you shit on my car again, I'll kick your ass." <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Oh, uh, listener discretion be advised. <laughs> we may cuss. We may cuss. We are in Canada, so you don't have to worry about a $10,000 fine for saying nipple. <laughs> so in Canada, is there a problem with three-letter words, or is it four-letter four words? I think it's five-letter words. It's oh, too long yeah. for people to Good. say. Eight-letter words. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Just don't even start with supercalifragilistic expialidocious. Yeah. Then, then we got... Oops. You have yeah. to have a French translation. <laughs> For any of those? That's right. They, yeah. It comes with the country. Yeah. Because the, the program is actually simultaneously translated into French. Yeah. Well, I've got a question for you. How, did you find all four of those songs that I suggested? I found all four. It was God, the, that's great. I the, can't believe it. The one I had the most trouble with was the Big Brother and the Holding Company song. Yeah, that's a rare album, actually. I, f- I found all four. Uh, the first song, as I said, was uh, Elvis Presley. Now, that was uh, out of a movie, you right. said, right? Which movie? Was it Clambake? I don't think it was clam bake. It oh, might have been. Like girls, 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 or something. One yeah, of those Hawaiian ones. Girls, yeah. girls, girls. It's a great track. It's uh, reminiscent of uh, some rockabilly. Denny? And the video's really good with it, too, when that, they all do the clam. <laughs> that was your idea? That was his. That was oh, Dennis's idea. Okay. Yeah, it's one of my four. It's like four wishes from a genie. Yeah. <laughs> I think the... Uh, what, why the Elvis track? What, what is it about that track? Just... I, it's like video? that one. It just it sums him all up. You know, it's like Colonel Parker sold him down the river and gave him up, you know, to these guys that were making all those schlocky movies. And that's probably the schlockiest song in all of his movies. I, I, I don't know. Actually, I've it's got right a, in there. I, I've got a good uh, Elvis trivia thing. One of the reasons why he did all these schlocky songs was that 
uh, at the time, apparently uh, uh, Colonel Parker would make it so that if you if you wanted Elvis to do your song, you had to sign over half the royalties to him. <laughs> God. And and so any any good songwriters went well to hell with you. I don't. That's how they make their money. So wow. it, it was. It always ended up being crappy sort of show tunes and things. Well, that makes perfect sense. Now yeah. That I yeah. See the product, you know. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so let, let let's get into your professional writing career. I guess. Let's, okay. Let's, can we start at the beginning? I was actually. Um, oh, a childhood question. Yeah, oh. I was. I was actually uh, like wondering uh, specifically where where you were from, where you where you were raised. Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know what I'm from. I was born in a women's prison in Deer Lodge, Montana, and I was adopted and reared in Boise, Idaho, by the Icorns. Oh, this really? is a Tom Waits song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a probably the greatest blues song of all time. I yeah, it's a rhyme, you know. Yeah. Anyway, and when I was a little kid, I, I stumbled across Carl Barks's Ducks at a real early age, like you know, five or six. And I and I was acting out some of the antics of the little ducks, the nephews, the junior woodchucks, and my parents got scared and forbade me to read comic books for a couple of years. So I had to go over to the neighbors' houses and read their kids' comic books, and that was mostly stuff like Little Lulu and Archie oh, stuff that it was almost wasn't, porn at the wasn't time, like Carl Barks, you know. <laughs> so I was repressed at an early age, and then and then when I was a teenager. And on a camping trip, one of my uncles slipped me a Tales from the Crypt EC comic, and it totally blew my mind, you know? I mean, I just wasn't ready for all those axe murderers and stuff. And, and, um, And then not long after that, I stumbled across a copy of Mad Magazine at my father's office. His art director had a copy. And, um, so I was... Those are my formative comic years, see? Wow. But, and I, I started reading um, um, comics regularly. I was reading the Marvel comics, all of the major stuff. I really liked Silver Surfer and everything. And then when I got into college, I started actually writing comic stories. I published a comic in college called the Moscow Duck Review when I went to the University oh. of Idaho. Uh, I've been to Moscow many times. And I, Have you? Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, I used to travel with a band, and we, I've been there about 50 times. And, and oh. uh, uh, one of the things I found interesting in one of your uh, stories was that, it was that you worked at the Garden Lounge. Yeah, yeah. it's still there. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Did you play when you played there? Uh, it was. It's a place called John's Alley. It's. I don't. I don't. It was. A, it was down the block and around the corner off the main street. So I'll I don't, be darned. Yeah, yeah, I've never been there. Yeah. Well, it, there was something like three dozen bars in Moscow, Idaho, because of the huge student population there and in nearby WSU. And so yeah. They yeah. had a lot of live music, you know. Yeah, I love that area actually for visiting, but I don't think I'd ever want to live there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was my problem. I stayed there after I graduated from college, and I kind of wallowed around because I'd worked at all the bars so I could get free drinks, you know. Oh, yeah, why would you leave? Yeah, <laughs> but then I did. I, w- I left and I went to California. Uh, Dennis, you said you were doing a, a strip at the time. Yeah. Were you or, drawing? Uh, actually, I, I just ca- kind of edited a comic book. Oh. I wrote a story for a guy named Riley Clark. He's a kind of a one of those crazy genius artists that nobody ever hears of him, you know? Oh, yeah. And, you know, he winds up painting mailboxes and saw blades for the rest of his life or something, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and a couple other people, including Scott Fife, I, I got a story for him, and he wound up being like a world-famous sculptor. He's in 
Seattle, and he, I'm sure he's got some work up in Vancouver. He sculpts all this weird shit out of, um, he makes it out of cardboard. Oh, really? Giant sculptures of, well, for instance, if you ever go to Safeco Field in um, mm-hmm. Seattle, watch a baseball game, there's a big uh, catcher's mitt that he sculpted that everybody sees when they walk in. It's one of their art objects on display. Oh, really? Anyway, and there were some other people, too, that turned out to have lives, like Jim Loney. He's a pretty well-known artist in Idaho. He mm-hmm. was in it. Anyway, I only did one issue of that comic book, and I do have quite a few. If anybody would like to buy some, just go to uh, Dennis P. Eichhorn, well, accept your money dot com. <laughs> actually, actually, I don't have a... I'm one of the few people on Earth that don't have a website. Yeah, well, either do I. I've got to get one. <laughs> I have other people doing mine for me. Yeah. yeah. I'm That's just not ready for it yet. But pretty soon they'll issue you one at birth along with your Social Security number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It could happen. You just hope for a dot .com. That, that's, so when you when you um, when when you left uh, Idaho and moved to California, where how'd you end up there? Well, a friend of mine um, um, was managing a bar in Santa Cruz called Capitola Joe's, and I went down there to manage it. And I'd been to California, you know, a number of times to mm-hmm. be part of the youth culture and get stoned and stuff. And so I wound up living in Santa Cruz for about half a year managing this bar, and then I sort of OD'd on too much of a good thing, and then I moved to San Francisco and stayed there for a while, then I moved back to the Northwest, wound up in Seattle, and um, a few years later, wound up resuming writing comics again with the, the real stuff and its associated titles. So, so how did that start? How did, uh, did you get hooked up oh, with like, publishers? Well, when or? I worked at The Rocket... Mm-hmm. We had an art contest, and among the people that um, entered it were Carol Moiseevich, you know, mm-hmm. from yep. Vancouver, and she was one of the winners. And so she came to um, Seattle to pick up her prize, and so I met her, and we got to talking, and I told her a couple of stories, and she said, oh, I'd like to make those into comics. She was going through a comics phase, and so that's how that happened. And then Michael Dugan, another Seattle artist, he saw... Her work and kind of inspired him, and I gave him a couple stories. And before I knew it, I had a few. And that was about the time Fantagraphics moved to Seattle. Oh yeah. And okay. Jim Woodring, I met him at a party, and he'd seen a couple of these stories, and he suggested that I do a comic book, and he said he'd help, and he kind of, you know, he contributed a story, and it didn't take much convincing to get Fantagraphics to do it. Peter Bag did the cover for the first one and, mm-hmm. and the story, and, you know. So that's how that started. After a few issues, they were having. T- I had some. Some of my stories had sexual elements, and it was causing a problem getting the the comic book into Canada and into the UK. So that's still a problem up here. Is it really? Yeah. So, they, so yeah. they. So we split off real smut, and af- after that, there was no screwing or sex in real stuff that was all for real smut you know and that went on for a while mm-hmm. and then after 20 issues of real stuff and I think six of real smut and I I quit working with fanographics and that's when we did real schmuck which I paid for and Dowers mm-hmm. published at Starhead Comics mm-hmm. and um that was about it, you know. After that, I went to work for um, a company called Lumpanics, and um, 
Oh, okay. They they did a lot of like weird alt. Yeah, they did a lot of. They they published a lot of a lot of weird stuff, and they also sold a lot of other people's weird stuff, like 800 titles, of which they maybe published 200. You know, like uh, they had a big catalog that came out, and, and they always had comic stories in their catalogs. After I worked there, I, they would I would work with other artists, and they would publish the, the stories there. So I had quite a I, I don't know I probably did a dozen stories or so while I was working with them. And um, some of them were printed in Scram magazine, and I've had other work in Scram magazine. Has been about the only place I've had anything since I worked at Lumpanics. I mean, they've published four or five of my stories there. What is Scram magazine? Scram? Oh, it's a music magazine. That's right now they're on a hiatus, but they did like twenty-two issues, I think. Yeah, it's about like alternative culture, sort of like catchy kind of stuff. Yeah, but, well, yeah. they run down uh, dinosaur bands, and you know mm-hmm. what happened to. The night crawlers that did a little black egg and shit. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah know, actually, that's really one of the ones they did. They interviewed the guy that wrote Little Black Egg, you yeah, know, really. and equally obscure stuff like that. It's yeah. a pretty good magazine. The woman that runs it's named Kim Cooper, and she's a um, a li- or a, a museum curator in L.A. And this is like a hobby for her, and she just got overwhelmed, and so she quit publishing it but it's online now there's some like scram.com or something like that you know yeah i have, I have some book reviews on it I, I used to contribute book reviews to them as well as comic stories uh, our, our local cartoonist uh, robert dayton actually said to say hi to you because he writes for scram too oh really yes oh, yeah he that's comes. good yeah we have some local connections. Yeah. Do they ever sell scram up there in vancouver you know what i actually had to order an issue because i wanted the dan Klaus cover yeah, yeah that one great issue. cover. It's it's a fabulous cover. It's like the guy comes out with comics once every five years, so mm-hmm. you get what you can when you can. So, but they, as far as you know, they don't sell it in stores or didn't. As far as not that I've noticed. Yeah, I've never heard of it making it up. There's too bad too. Mm-hmm. It's quite weird the whole Canadian American thing. Like a little Lupanic story is I know someone who had a lot of difficulty um, for ordering some Lupanic yeah. books. Oh, we and used to have a lot, a lot of, of trouble getting stuff. Harassment. I'll, I'll leave the person anonymous and. If he wants me to pass on more of the story, I'll pass on more of the story. But needless to say, it was not a fun experience for him. No, they've had real problems. Yeah. Because you might order a book on explosives, let's say, and all of a sudden you're a terrorist. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is the uh, Anarchist Cookbook, it's actually, if you try doing anything in there, you'll blow yourself up. That's right. We never sold it. Mike Hoy, the owner of Lumpanics, said that there was a lot of deliberate disinformation in the Anarchist Cookbook. Mm -hmm. And... uh, so he refused to carry it, and I agree with him. There is some real disinformation in there. Mm-hmm. You is, could kill yourself mixing up some of those formulas. Is Loom Panic still around? No, he went out of business not too long ago. A few months ago, he just got tired of it, and rather than sell the business, he just sort of liquidated whatever books he could oh, wow. and, and just faded into the sunset. I mean, he's a millionaire from it, you know, <laughs> and, really? he, and he didn't want anybody to take his name, the name of his business, and then do something that he wouldn't approve of with it, you know. Well, I, I can't imagine that it was a very comfortable atmosphere post-9-11. Well, no, it wasn't. And I was there on the day of 9-11. See, I was the editorial director, and whenever uh, some horrendous event would occur, right away we'd start having news groups and reporters call us to see if we had any books. Like, for instance, 
somebody derailed a train down in New Mexico, some weird patriot group, you know. And so the next day we get all these calls. Do you have any books on how to derail trains, you know? <laughs> well, we, we didn't. Mm-hmm. Or in, then when, you know, the Oklahoma City no, bombing, no. God, after that we had like at least 100 calls from people wanting to get books on... Uh, on explosives and stuff so they could do research for stories and we were visited by the FBI they came marching in and wanted to know if we'd sold Tim McVeigh any books so <laughs> the the one of the women looked up Tim McVeigh on the computer and his, or he wasn't on our computer so we'd never sold him any books under that name so they went away you know that's a, that's the extent of their investigation it turned out though that we had sold his sister some books Oh, really? But the FBI didn't ever ask about that, so we never told them. Well, let's hope they're not <laughs> listening. Yeah. Well, I think maybe he might have ordered them under his sister's name. Yeah. Um, but anyway, who knows? Um, and, uh, but anyway, yeah, so it was weir- weird working there, and um, I was kind of glad to, to disassociate myself from it because I, I just couldn't get into the continual publication of the secrets of methamphetamine manufacture. I mean, no matter <laughs> yeah. how I could justify it as a free speech thing, I still knew that it was a bad thing to be putting out there, even though you damn near have to be a college graduate in chemistry to use it. Yeah. There's plenty of those running around, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't need, you know, I just got sick of it, and it made some, it made a lot of money for Lumpanics. I mean, it I don't even know how much. It's probably a quarter of a million dollars a year it was bringing in for him, you know? Wow. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to take this time to play a song. Which one? I was going to play The Amazing Grace. Oh, good. By That's the Alabama song. Boys to the tune of... You know what? Let's just surprise the people, I think. So uh, come back in a sec. CITR okay. 101.9. I'm just going to keep you, put you on hold and bring you right back on. Sounds good. And you should be able to hear the music. Good. CITR. Sing along with it. All right. <laughs> I praise 
CITR 11.9 FM. This is the Inkstead Show. Today, our special guest is Denny Icorn. Denny P. Icorn? Denny Icorn? That's right. Create writer of Real Stuff, uh, editor of Northwest Extra, and uh, which features prominently uh, some writing by Mr. Icorn. That was the Blind Boys of Alabama, correct? Yes, isn't that a great song? That, was that pretty, is. That was pretty funky. We were enjoying it. Yeah. I've been. I left instructions that to be played at my funeral. <laughs> well, that's that's uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> On that well, note, how are you feeling? <laughs> well, pretty good, but. I'm realizing that I'm not going to live forever. I mean, I'm 61 years old, and I had about a dozen heart attacks in September. Oh, really? I, I was so spaced out that I didn't realize they were heart attacks. And by the time I'd got in to see a doctor, what was going on, it had been going on for three weeks, see? The next thing I knew, I was having a heart operation, and I actually died for 30 seconds, so they tell me. I wondered what happened. I woke up, and I, what the hell was it? You know what I mean? <laughs> And, uh, you know, they were doing an angioplasty and putting in some stents in my heart and all that good medical stuff. But somewhere along the line, my heart quit beating. So I guess that qualifies for being dead. But now I feel pretty good. I, uh, you know, had to lay around for a week and then I had to start walking and exercising. And now I go out and walk about an hour a day unless it's raining or snowing like today. And um, watch my diet a little bit and all that, get some sleep. But, you know, I mean, nobody lives forever, and I don't think I'm going to either. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it was Woody Allen that said that uh, some some artists wanted to live uh, live on in their work or whatever. Or they, they like to gain immortality through their work. And yeah. he said he wanted to gain immortality by not dying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like they say, who wants to live to be 90 years old? Well, everybody that's 89. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. But anyway, enough of that. Well, yeah. we're happy to hear you're doing better. Yeah. Thank you. It's good I to appreciate hear. It. Oh, I, I, feel, I think I still have it in me to do another compilation book. I've been talking to Ron Turner at Last Gasp about it. Do it. And, uh, and I got David Collier to agree to, to do... See, what I want to do is have a story. It's like me running a bar, the mythical Icorn Club Icorn, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm like the genial proprietor bartender. Yeah. People come in and have drinks, and then I lead, and we have discussions, and it leads into a story, some of which would be reprints and some of which would be brand new. And, then, and, every, and it would go back to this narrative all the time, and Collier would draw it. Well, the trouble with that is, is that while I was working this out, Collier went and joined the Canadian yeah. Army <laughs> at the age of yeah, he's in the army. Yeah, and wow. he's now stationed up in the middle of colder than hell Canada, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, he, won't, he can't draw it until 2008. So I've got, like... A whole year to write the story. You know, that's good. Yeah, and they'll be all polished by the time he gets around to it. But you know, well, if you ever need anybody to draw your stories, you can send some up to Vancouver, and we'll uh, we'll put them together for you. I, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> some of them, I do want to have some of the stories that'll be new. I would like to have other artists besides Collier draw them, and I was, of course, going to ask Colin if he'd do one. You know, but I haven't. <laughs> picked one yet to run by him so no never can i have a ballpark estimate on how long it'll take you to make up your mind once i give you the work (laughs) 
Oh, I don't know. It depends if Coronation Street's on TV or not. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. There's a lot to be considered here. I'll make it worth your while. Believe me. I've got lots of old copies of the last issue of Northwest Extra that you've got your story in, and I know that's worth something to you. And I've got a whole bunch of copies of the big black thing left. You do? I need, I need copies for the UBC Rare Books Library. <laughs> ah, I knew you'd be out. You probably sold them all. <laughs> Yeah, you're good at that. He is good at that. He, he trades it for cups of tea. Motor, it's just great. Yeah, learned a lot from Colin. I really have. <laughs> Colin's beat red right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, when I next time I see you, I'll give you all my big black things. <laughs> They're all yours, Colin. It's a down payment on this story you're going to hopefully draw someday. Yeah. For sure. All right. Awesome. The, the promise is there. It, you can hold him to it. Now. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm getting him to sign something right now. Oh. Get it in paper. Now, um, one thing that is really neat for me with your work, I'm totally like switching topics here, um, is you got to do stuff with Bukowski, who is like my favorite writer of all time. Yeah. My cat's um, name is Charlie. He, he actually took an interest in my comics. And, um, well, it started out with Northwest Extra. I wrote him a letter while I was publishing Northwest Extra. And, and uh, he sent me a whole bunch of poems, like, I don't know, a dozen maybe. And every time I printed one, I was supposed to send him 25 bucks, you know. So I did. And then I started publishing, the, or writing, rather, the comics about that time. And they started being published. So I started sending him those to read and he he liked him and um, I don't know he sent me a couple postcards and a couple letters and some drawings he used to do this he used to um, embellish all of his letters with these little cartoons it's always some wino sitting there with a bottle of booze and then some birds flying around <laughs> I'll bet he did a million of them literally you know? and he, he did a couple that I kept you know and um, I've got them framed on the wall I really felt bad when he died I, and I, I'm, re, I'm rereading his novels right now. It's funny you should say that because I, I just read um, Post Office and Factotum, oh. and I'm getting set to do Women and I, I Hollywood read, next. I, I've read Women. I really like that. It's a good one. Yeah. My, my copy's signed, and it's the gem of my collection. Have you read Post Office? I've read all of his novels. Have you? I've, yeah, I know Post Office. Is, it's pretty, I don't know. Well, when they're, I read it, it incredible, just made me just so fall sad. in love with the guy for what he was, you know. And then... You've probably seen that Bukowski film, Born Into This. Have you seen that? I, the it's documentary, documentary it's, about him. Yeah, it's weird. They're like, it's really sad. He cries. Oh, is yeah, that the one where he cries? Yeah, and he, and he beats his wife. Jesus. Yeah, but, but I didn't know until I um, saw that, that 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 guy from Black Sparrow Press that came along and just mm. sort of endowed him with a hundred bucks a month for the rest of his life, so he could write. That, just think what that guy did for him, you know? I mean, that's an incredible thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked, didn't it? Yeah, it worked I mean, out for both of them. I just bought a Black Sparrow book yesterday for 16 bucks, you know? Yeah. Of <laughs> yeah, they're Hollywood. not cheap. I mean, you know, they're expensive. The, the, the yeah, they really are. Stuff. Black, no wonder, though, right? Black Sparrow did a good job on them. No, but anyway, a- yeah, he was one. And Hunter Thompson was another person that contributed. How did you how did you come about meeting him or getting in touch with him? Well, I I, I uh, wrote him a letter asking if he would contribute to Northwest Extra, and he he referred me to his syndicate. He had a, a he worked for some newspaper syndicate 
Hmm. I think it was called Creators Creators Syndicate, and told them to give me a good deal so they would only charge me 25 bucks a month and they'd send me four columns a month. He was mm-hmm. writing a column for the San Francisco Chronicle, I think, and maybe it was the Examiner, I don't know. And um, and they would syndicate it, you know. Mm-hmm. That, so that I was taking that stuff and putting it in the Northwest Extra. I don't know. That's I've talked to him a couple times, but I didn't know him very well or anything. I met his son, though. I met his son, Juan, uh, Juan yes. in San Francisco uh, last year at a and like a funeral I went to. He's really a nice guy. He's super smart. Yeah, apparently he's uh, quite the opposite of his father. He's quite collected, I guess. And he really is. He's and he's he, he's married to another equally smart person, and they have this little genius kid <laughs> that that uh, is just like Wonder Boy. You know, it's amazing how smart he is. But yeah, Juan's got a book coming out. You know, he was in the next room when Hunter killed himself. Oh wow! Oh boy! And, well, I know yeah, he was the one who found yeah, him. He was sitting ten feet away, really, through the wall. You know, and 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 he's got a book coming out soon. That's I think kind of a memoir thing hmm. about it. I recommend. Uh, I got to interview uh, Ralph Steadman uh, a couple oh. months ago, and we talked about it a little bit because Ralph Steadman's latest book is uh, memoirs of his time with Hunter, and it's incredible. I'll it's bet. quite the look into the. Eyes of Madness. Yeah. Yeah. Stedman was the perfect artist for him. Yeah. And, and the best uh, collaboration between them, the funniest part, is when they are miles apart. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the Kentucky Derby and the um, one where they did uh, the America's Cup, those are yeah. the only two stores where they were actually together Oh. for, for okay. the thing. Like, he, he, was, he was in England when Fear and Loathing happened. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And actually, no, the which one was it they did together? The Curse of Lono. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But they did that one a lot separately. Like he went on the trip, I think, but he did the book separately. Like uh-huh. he took the pages. So I kept looking for Stedman in the movie Fear and Loathing, mm-hmm. and he wasn't there. Well, no, he wasn't. wasn't. Oh, no, it, wasn't, it was, in the, wasn't in the book either. No, he yeah. wasn't there. He was in England. Mm-hmm. The uh, the lawyer was actually a a lawyer that um, yeah. Hunter knew. Yeah. Um, right. It's quite a sad story that he was like a human rights lawyer, and he was actually wasn't quite a nut bar as they Oscar. make him. Yeah, and uh, he, I guess he just disappeared one day, and Hunter wouldn't talk about it. Yeah, uh, when I lived in San Francisco, I was friends with some of the people that worked at Rolling Stone, and um, one of them was named Judy Lawrence, who was the receptionist at the time. She said, when you got out of the elevator, she was the first person you saw, and she was a friend of Oscar's and Hunter Thompson's, and, and uh, they used to go over to her apartment all the time and get drunk. She lived over near the park, and so she had Oscar's hat up on her mantelpiece. He'd come in there one day with some friends and took off his hat and put it on the mantelpiece and had a couple beers and then walked out, and then nobody ever saw him again. So she'd had his hat sitting there for like six years or something <laughs> like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they all really really thought highly of him. He was like an activist Latino uh, lawyer, kind of, you know? Yeah, if they fought for causes. Yeah, yeah. really, really active in his community. And like like I said, it just, it, it, he's a character in the movie, but he's quite, he's not the same in real life. Right. They've definitely got away from the norm on that one, you know? Actually, I was, I was wanting to ask about, um, about Larry Fisher, because I, I really like oh, the yeah. stories that you did about, about uh, Larry Wildman Fisher, I guess. Well, he, um, well, <laughs> have you seen the book? There's a, yeah. there's a collection that um, we just did uh, 
actually two years ago. From uh, Top Shelf, right? Right. Yeah, I was, I was going to recommend... Williams drew it, and yeah. Holly Tuttle drew one story. And um, those were stories that had appeared in, in real stuff, except for the one Holly did. That was brand new. I think maybe Scram ran it. I can't remember. But um, anyway, it was true. I mean, just at one point I had some money, and I wanted to promote concerts, and some friends and I thought of bringing him up, and we miraculously connected with him by calling the L.A. Free Press, and he happened to be standing in the street outside when we called. You <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't you talk to Ed Sanders or something like that? Yeah, he like worked that? there for a while, and Ed Sanders went out and got him and brought him in and kind of was his ad hoc agent, which is pretty <laughs> far out, you know. And, uh, and the next thing I know, we book him for a show in Spokane and then three others at different places, and then he called up like a week before the show and changed the date. <laughs> he, he changed it to like the day before, I think, or day after. I can't remember, but he, he just, you know, unreasonably did that. And so we went around and did the best we could to let people know, but I'm sure it really hurt the crowd like 50%, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, anyway, so he showed up and um, sort of injected himself into into our lives because he came he came back to uh, Idaho unannounced. I mean, he just showed up in Moscow, Idaho one time. I took One of the concerts was in Moscow, Idaho, and he kind of liked it. And, and so he, he just came back and expected to be able to do it again. <laughs> you know, with no promotion or anything like that. You yeah, know? That's was, awesome. He's a truly insane guy. Well, yeah. anyway, he's now in a, like a nursing home in L.A. Is there... Or, an assisted living place, kind of. But anyway, he's he's heavily sedated. They give him tranquilizers, and um, and he's getting old. Is he he hasn't had a real good diet most of his life, you know. Uh-huh. And um, so, but there's been two movies made about him. Yeah, there was a der- was it derailroaded. Was derailroaded is the one that was made most recently mm-hmm. by a couple of L.A. filmmakers. And it's out. In fact, I think you can buy the DVD mm-hmm. online. But th- there's another another movie called Larry Wildman Fisher that was made by a, a Czechoslovakian uh, filmmaker. Oh, that was the one that uh, that J.R. Williams showed at the uh, Stumptown, wasn't it? Yes, that's yeah, right. I was there for that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I've got a copy of it. As a matter of fact, um, a friend of mine's going to put it on DVD here one of these days when I take it over to his house, and then I'll have copies of it because I'm afraid to play it anymore. I'm going to break the tape, and then it'll yeah. be gone. You know, I don't know. It's archived in a library in Germany because um, the. Uh, filmmaker wasn't able to get Larry's release, and so, and he does some copyrighted songs in the movie. Oh, okay. And he wouldn't sign anything to release them, and so this guy's screwed. He can't he can't sell it or anything, and so they've archived it in this wow. um, school library, but he did send me a copy of it, and then I recopied that, so, you know, it's out there. It might even be on YouTube or something like that. I don't know. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I was I was actually going to recommend, uh, like, we always talk about, like, books we'd recommend people to buy, tell people to go out and buy them, and uh, definitely your Real Stuff collection and the, and the Wild Man Fisher book are both just fantastic. They're just awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah. 
Another I actually, I actually have three hundred copies of the book, which I sell to people. Well, I know uh, the comic store paid me anything for it. The poor guy lost his shirt on it. You know, on on what? On the, the bu- publication the real of stuff the book. collection. The, oh. It was published by this guy. He called it Swifty Morales Press, and yeah. it was his first venture. And um, he printed way too many of them, and uh, and he wound up not selling very many. He didn't really know how to market it, and so. He finally just said to hell with it and remaindered it all that he could. He sold me a whole bunch of copies of it really cheap, you know, like just for the shipping on them. Mm-hmm. He gave them to me just for the sh- I had to pay the shipping. It's like $10 a box. So I bought 300 copies. And well, I know a comic store that needs it. Mm-hmm. Where? Where? <laughs> the one we shop at. Yeah. <laughs> In Vancouver. I'll, I'll uh, send you an email later. Yeah, the, we'll it, yeah, I was going to mention, like you said, you don't have a website. Is there any, uh, do you have any... Um, uh, Contact well, I have information? an email address, but I don't have a website. Okay. Did you want to give us your email address? We can let yeah, everybody sure. know if they're looking it's for pretty, your it's books. It's a pretty easy one to remember. Okay. It's Dennis P. Icorn. The trick is to put two H's in Icorn. Yeah. Most people only put one in it. C-I-C-H-H-O-R-N. That's right. Yeah. Dennis P. Icorn at yahoo.com. Oh, awesome. So if anybody's looking for your books, they can just uh, contact Absolutely. you. Absolutely. We can work something out. Awesome. Well, stuff I'm if I ever for. come up to Vancouver, I'll bring a box and I'll try and peddle them to the various comic stores. Oh, you ought to, because uh, yeah, I know a good way. We know a guy that runs a comic store, and he'd love to have that. So. Uh, I'd, I'd even sign him, and I'd give him a good deal. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Perfect solution. Oh, well, you got to come up. Yeah, I will. I will sometime. I, but you know, I'm kind of busy. I've got this weird job now, and I'm kind of locked in here. Mm-hmm. I'm a blood courier. Blood courier. Yeah, I, every weekday, like today. Mm-hmm. I take a load of blood from Bremerton, where I live, on the ferry boat to Seattle, and then I drive it up and drop it off at two hospitals, Providence and the Veterans Hospital, and then I come back and take the ferry back over. I do this every day. I've been, this is my third year of doing it. Oh, wow. Isn't that incredible? That is. It's like the vampire courier. I know, and on Halloween, I do. I dress up as Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> highlight of my year. <laughs> Nobody even gives me a second look. It's scary, you know. I mean, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> you want blood? I got it, buddy. I, I got to say that th- that kind of job for you doesn't really surprise me with your uh, array of uh, work experience and it's going through the real stuff. I get to sit there and read most of the time on the ferry, you know. <laughs> oh, that's and awesome. Now I've got a laptop and I can edit books and stuff. It's great. <laughs> yeah. That is good. That's, so you're living out in Bremerton. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, my wife and I live here and have for a long time, and my daughter lives about three blocks away, and my grandson, her her son, yeah. No, you're a grandpa. Yeah. Oh, awesome. He's, he's, this kid is great. It's my daughter's first and only kid so far, mm-hmm. and his name is Knox, and he's like two and a half years old. So yeah, I'm a doting, I'm a doting grandfather. Mazel tov. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to ask. Um, you've worked with so many talented cartoonists. Have you ever actually sat down and added up the p- no, number of people you've worked with? I have had lists. I, I think it's over 60. Oh, yeah. I think wow. it is over 60. I'd have to really count them all up. And how, how difficult did you find they were to work with? Well, some people are hard to work with, and some people are really easy and fun to work with. Uh, most of them are easy to work with. But not Colin. Hey! <laughs> I mean, you know, after a while, you kind of get to know what people want, so you can write scripts that have a lot of detail in it, and 
mm-hmm. you know, play to their strengths, visual cues and stuff, yeah. photographs and reference stuff. You know, mm-hmm. that's like, a. Mm, go finish. ahead. Well, I was gonna say that's something I noticed is that you really work to the artist's strengths. Like each story, it's not like the same style of writing. Like it seems like you know. You know, okay, I'm doing a Mary Fleener story. Well, this is going to be fun and druggy. <laughs> right, exactly. After a while, you get to where, you know, like with Peter Cooper, you'd have a kind of a mysterious story so he could use those shadows and stuff. Oh, know? yeah, the, the weird airbrushing. And, like with, yeah. with Colin, I, th- I always thought that if it was something that was political, set in about 1930, it would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't then, so I've had to you know, work around that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Do something something about a Civil War battle reenactment. Yeah, yeah. All yeah over the, the, the pig war, whatever they call it. <laughs> The Pink War of 1859. That's right. Yeah. Something that really happened, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, so have you sure, Colin. Have, have you actually got to... Uh, I was going to ask, do you have, have you actually got to meet all the artists that you've worked with? Uh, no, there's a few I haven't met. Um, like, there was some in England and stuff like that, and, and in Canada. I don't think I ever met Rupert Bottenberg or uh, Carol Swain or, uh, hmm. you know, oh, yeah. those. But most of them I did meet. That's good. I never. Well, I, I met Eileen Kaminsky Crum, of course. I met her in Seattle, but, but you know, ordinarily, ordinarily, I after I got going on it, I'd get a lot of portfolios. You know, like some, I was probably averaging two or three a day that oh, I was really? getting. A lot of them from just totally unknown artists. You know, and some of them were just brilliant. There's a guy named Mike Jackson that's from Vancouver. He came up to me at a convention in Portland one time and wanted to do some stories, and God, he had this great portfolio with him, and I wound up using him for some real smut stories. Hmm. And, uh, and yeah, he's some kind of an illustrator. He lives in Vancouver, or used to. Have you ever heard of him? No, I don't, I don't yeah, think I have. Yeah, he's fantastic. Mike he wound up doing, like, you know, artwork for toy boxes. Oh, yeah, like yeah, that. okay. Stuff like but, that. Yeah, you know, he could do anything. He's a real good craftsman. I was just knocked out. I wish I could have worked with him more, but I kind of burned out. Mm-hmm. And there's another guy up there, too. Um, Hol- what's his name? Holgate? Oh, Sean Hayes Holgate. Sean oh, Hayes he's Holgate. amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he is. I worked with him on a couple of things, especially when I worked at Fanographic. Or, I mean, excuse me, Ed Loom Panics. Mm-hmm. He did some book covers and stuff for us there and a couple of cartoon stories with me yeah he, he went to the high school i went to he was a year oh, ahead. yeah he was a year ahead of me he's he's fantastic he really is yeah, i don't I, know what he's doing now i don't think he's been doing comics actually uh we we have like the the local drippy town collective puts out a comic every year and they've been trying to get him to do some stories i think to get him oh out of it. yeah he's yeah. one of those that's disappeared into uh the Video suburbs <laughs> into the right. suburbs. He's painting a right now. He's probably painting a saw blade while we're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably a bitchin' saw blade. Oh, yeah, <laughs> psychedelic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very psychedelic. Well, let's see. Are you? What's the next song you're going to play? Um, well, I was just going to end the show off with the uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company song, because I, I, the conversation's going so good, I, just, I just oh, that's thought we'd, okay. we'd toss yeah. the song out, if that's okay. See, if you would have played Prison Bound, I would have talked about prison. Well, we <laughs> can talk about prison right now. We still got some time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would say, we were actually talking earlier about the uh, the Lifer's Lounge. Yeah. The, 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 the In Cold Blood 
Um, oh yeah, yeah I, I I was telling them the story about that. Cause that was my favorite story from uh, <laughs> that I read from you. I just I just I laughed my head off reading that. I wish that you know that didn't make it into the book. You know the real stuff book. Mm-hmm. I don't know why either. I I didn't pick those stories. The editor picked them. That was kind of what he got for his thousands of dollars he lost. You know, <laughs> he, got, he got to pick what he lost money on. But he he picked a lot of violent stories. Um, he he swung towards violence after the thing was published. I thought, wow, this is really. In fact, I one of the reviewers called me a, a psychopathic. I read that interview. Obviously, yeah. the guy had not read any of your other comics. I know. It was kind of like. But I, I guess he's got a point. He called anyway, you a what? So a sociopath. Now there's hardly any violent oh. stories left. So when I do another collection, it's going to be real thin on violence. So they'll call me like a sexual demon <laughs> or a, drug, a drug-drenched sexual demon. Yeah. Laid-back stoner comics. Ah, that's okay. We could use more of those in comics. The Lifer's Lounge actually exists um, in almost every prison, actually. Uh, just so the readers, or excuse me, listeners... Uh, no, when I was a, a kid, like 1971 or two, 71 and two, I wound up being in an Idaho prison for four months for being a drug dealer. So, well, Sold well, some dope to a cop, and the next thing I knew, I was in jail. And then I got what was out. a cop doing buying I'd drugs? Never been back, and I want to keep it that way too, you know. So, That's but it. anyway, that. I wrote about it in two or three stories, and that's the one you're referring to is about being in the Idaho prison and how there was a lifer's lounge. <laughs> you had to really watch your step. If you tweaked the TV, you'd get in trouble, and they're sitting in there watching In Cold Blood you know, one night, and I'm going, oh, my God, you know, what the hell would I get myself into? This is as bad as it gets, you know. But luckily, sounds- nobody axe-murdered me, and so I survived it. That sounds extremely frightening, you know, going to hang out with the... Li- Surreal. One thing that's not in my story is I was in that jail when they had a a riot in the the Idaho prison. See, there was this old prison in downtown Boise. Now it's kind of like a historical monument, but at that time they were using it, and I was locked up in it. They had um, hot water from thermal springs, and so the whole prison reeked of sulfur. It just stunk (laughs) of sulfur, and uh, it was just the shittiest places you could ever think of being, you know. And um, I graduated from that to go, they put me in this minimum security jail out in the desert, 10 miles out of town or something, staffed by Mormon guards. All the guards were Mormons, every goddamn one of them. Uh, So Southern Idaho is all Mormon half of it, Well, Southern Idaho is. It really is. It's got more Mormons per capita than Utah does. Yeah. Oh, There's know. towns in southern Idaho that are 100% Mormon, you know? I oh, mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. It's like another civilization. Yeah, Idaho Falls is like that. It's just mental. <laughs> that yeah. sounds extremely um, unexciting. <laughs> Nothing like a Mormon town. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm started. I'll show my bigotry. <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to maybe uh, seeing the sulfur prison story someday. I'd like to. I'd like to well, read maybe I'll that. get Colin to draw that one if he. Yeah. When, I'm, when I'm tending bar in my book, you know, somebody can bring a prison and <laughs> maybe somebody can let a fart and I go, oh, that smells like. <laughs> that reminds me of the time. Yeah, yeah, see, we're writing it on the spot. This is art in action, <laughs> <laughs> and you were there for it. Yeah, well, maybe Colin's been making little one. notes and drawing sketches as we speak. Yeah, I have a, a, a quick question. Talking okay. about bar, what is your favorite drink? <laughs> My favorite drink, alcohol. Right drink. now, it's um, 
I, I like this beer called Curin Select. It's a uh, it's a lager, Curin right? Beer and it comes in twelve ounce cans, and they sell it around Christmas time. It's called Curin Select. You can get it in Seattle in the International District, and that's the only place I know of. Is that a Japanese beer? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you yeah I've had it. It's nice. You can get that here. Yeah, well, they sell it in these big cans, like forty ounce cans, but that's not very good. But these little, the little special Korean Select is very good beer. Give it a try sometime. In fact, drink a half a rack and get back to me. <laughs> no, well, uh, <laughs> if we if we make it down south, we'll we'll bring you some from Canada because I'm pretty sure we have it year round here at a mm, in smaller. I, wish I lived there. Yeah. I've always wished I lived in Canada. Actually, <laughs> well. You know, move well, up. I could I'm never sure. find a Canadian that would marry me, so I couldn't get into the country. Colin, well, the, your options are wider now. Yeah, yeah the, the same sex marriage. Colin, Colin's free. Yeah. Hey. Really? Yeah. Do they recognize gay marriages up there? Yeah, I, yeah. I think so. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't so, know yeah, that. Yeah, well, yeah that the government makes it more feasible. Yeah. But I'm already married, so it would be like bigamy. <laughs> you would be a Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't right. think. Hey, now I see why. They <laughs> There, I don't think that's amazing because there is like this weird Mormon sect that's polygamous that they have an encampment right up in the very top of Idaho, right there where the end of the panhandle is. Oh, yeah. And they live on both sides of the border, you know. Oh, so they can avoid the cops? Yeah, uh, they, they probably ha- are all, they are the local cops, you yeah. know. Well, there's and, a... Uh, I mean, they, they're everything. There's yeah, a there's place... a bunch of them. There's a couple hundred of them up there hanging out. There's a place in B.C. called Bountiful. Which is full Bountiful, of yes. fundamentalist Mormons that's actually been getting a lot of uh, attention lately. Yeah, every once in a while they make the papers down here. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to have a TV movie this week <laughs> on Canadian television. Oh, I love Well, they already Boy. have. It's called Big Love. Yeah, I love <laughs> Big Love. I loved it. Yeah. It was great. I, actually, I was going to ask, um, are you going to be doing any appearances at uh, any conventions or anything? Because I know there's like the Emerald City conventions coming up in Seattle and uh, Stumptown. I know you were there last year. I was there two years ago, I think. Yeah, Stumptown. Uh, they never, they never asked me this year. Oh. <laughs> but, okay. but yeah, I'd go, I, I enjoyed Stumptown, but so far I don't have anything lined up. What would like it take? I, like I said, it's got to be on the weekend, and it's got to be fairly close because I got to be around here to do my little number every week. Oh, your blood run. Yeah. Yep. From three well, to eight at night. What, would we be able to get yet to Vancouver one day? Someday. Someday. I'd love to come up there. We'd drink like, Korean beer and sell comic books. Yeah. This might be like a dream come true for me, actually. <laughs> a life's destiny. <laughs> I don't want much at this stage of my life. Just a good beer and a good comic. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Denny. It was uh, a surely a pleasure for all of us to be able it was to have for you on me. the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot. Leave, can you leave me on so I can hear the song after we hang up, though? Definitely. And I'll hang up when it's over, so okay. I won't run your bill up too far. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was, I, I thought this it would cost more for me to do the interviews, and like when I interview people in other countries, uh-huh. like when I interviewed Stephen, I thought it'd be like a forty dollar call, and it was like five bucks. Well, that's not <laughs> I would pay five bucks to talk to him any day. Yeah. Um. Thank you very much. Like I said, big fans, real stuff. Um, hopefully, one day a new collection from Last Gasp. All right. Who surprisingly Remember, still pi corn at yahoo.com. At yes. yahoo.com. I'll For put all your comic needs. I will post it with this. We do a podcast of all the all the shows. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'll send you a link with the podcast, and I'll put your email address if people are interested in Great. ordering stuff from that. you directly. No problem. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you guys sometime. Oh yeah. <clears throat> that was Dennis. 
P.I. Corn, uh, or Denny. Uh, real stuff, awesome, awesome comics. I'm a big fan of his work, and I think you all should be, too. He's, I, I never got to mention, actually, on the show that I thought he was probably one of the only comic book writers that I would read a story by, regardless of who drew it. He's that good. That good. Now, I'm going to leave off um, with, I was saying, the uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company song, Heartache People, which I had a hell of a time finding. I don't even think it's a very good copy of it. I think it's a little quiet, but... Let's hope he enjoys it. Let's hope you enjoy it. Next week, my guest will be Corthay, eh, K. Thor Jensen, a New York cartoonist. He uh, did a book, um, Red Eye, Black Eye, which actually kind of goes in with the real stuff. It's all about his trip across the states uh, on the bus, and it's all other people's stories. It's Real stuff is all Dennis' stories, but this is him like talking to people and getting their stories, their lives. It's really neat. Thor is a neat guy. Make uh, him say comics. Com- yeah, okay. Uh, Colin Sick Boy. Uh, thanks, guys, for coming. Heartache People up next. Crimes and Treasons.
Till it's realized